Welcome to the Assurology Show, a growth hacker's guide to human capital management with your host, Mike Vinoy. Each week, we bring you experts in human resources, employment law, accounting, benefits planning, and more to build productive organizations. You'll gain practical guidance for your business. You'll be alerted to the latest news and mega trends that impact small and mid-sized companies. We'll give you the hands-on information you need to stay compliant with ever-changing employment laws, the strategies you need to win the war for talent, and much more. So you can focus on what you do best, growing your business. Enjoy the show. How to lead your business through change. Hi, I'm Mike Vinoy, Vice President of Marketing at Assure. And this is a really cool topic for me. Uh, so much of the time of this weekly show, we talk about really tactical, practical things, uh, payroll laws, HR laws, how to comply. Um, but but sometimes as entrepreneurs, business owners, we are so close to the day-to-day that we don't see the major changes our business is actually going through. Maybe the economy, our, 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 our environments are going through. Uh, and we need to step back and examine that and really look at ourselves as leaders and are we... Are we focusing on ourselves and our development as much as we are our business? So uh, the perfect guest to, to join me today to unpack this topic, uh, Eric McNulty. Uh, he's a seasoned business writer, speaker, and thought leader. He serves as an associate director of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative at Harvard University. Previously, he was editor-at-large editor and director of conferences for Harvard Business Publishing. McNulty is a contributing editor in, of strategy and business. He has written for Harvard Business Review, O'Reilly Media, Sloan Management Review, Worthwhile Magazine, and other publications. His case studies written for Harvard Business Review have been used in numerous professional and academic settings. He teaches in graduate and professional education programs at Harvard, as well as executive programs at MIT and the University of California. He is the co-author of You're It, Crisis, Change, and How to Lead When It Most Matters. Eric, welcome to the show. Mike, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. Excited about it. So this I'm, I'm going to start out with something that might just sound stupid, but I, I feel like the average entrepreneur, they're they are working their faces off. They're <laughs> grinding day in and day out. Right. Um, and I think sometimes this term leadership gets thrown around a little too loosely. Um, can, can you maybe just... From your perspective, you, you, you've seen and you write in your book uh, about big uh, change management leadership, what that looks like. But why is leadership so important, especially when we're going through periods of change like we are right now? You know, I think that it's a great question because you're right. I mean, I've, I've been an entrepreneur. I've worked with entrepreneurs and you're right. They're working their face off every single day. Uh, and that becomes a challenge because they're so they're so close to the business. They're so close to some of the assumptions they're making and, and where they're going. It can be hard sometimes to bring everyone else along. So when I talk about leading, specifically leading is a set of behaviors and managing is a set of behaviors. So if management is managing is what we do, leading is why we do it. So the human factors. So you if you're just doing it all by yourself, you're a solopreneur, fine. Leadership is not going to be a big issue for you. But as soon as you bring other people into the equation, they really need to understand not just where you're going, but why you're going there why what they're doing matters, uh, how they can contribute in a meaningful way. So it really is taking the time to help them understand the context in which you're doing everything. 
because if you just tell people what to do and point to them, you know, so pushing them in a certain direction, that works for a little bit, but eventually it gets old. And they really to engage them and really get their energy and all their ideas out there. You've got to help understand why, and that really is the essence of leading: is moving people forward into uncertainty with hope, with confidence, and with the belief that they can make a meaningful contribution. So, what, from your perspective, what what are the big buckets that entrepreneurs, small business owners, and or managers at mid-sized companies, you know, what, what are the big buckets that they should be focused on? when it comes to managing, especially through change? So I think when you're looking at change, and we are, you know, this is the year that permacrisis and polycrisis both made it into the dictionary. Uh, so we are in turbulent times, right? Change is confident. And it's not just those, those big, you know, the big wildfire earthquake kind of, of change, but changes in, in the workforce, changes in, you know, the whole continuing battle over hybrid work, the introduction of, of AI as a, as a wildly accessible, widely accessible, technology, all those things are infusing change, which means you get uh, a less certain picture of what's going on. So I think for entrepreneurs, first of all, the thing is to do is take a bit of time to look toward the future. What are the faint signals on the horizon that may affect you? And take some time to reflect and be thinking about that. Because again, if you're caught up in the day-to-day, -day, you're managing right now, you're worrying about today, and I get it. I say, having been an entrepreneur, having been the son of an entrepreneur, I know you're worried about, can you make payroll this week? Are we shipping our goods? All that stuff is right. top of mind. But if you aren't paying attention to the faint signals on the horizon, you can't anticipate what you're going to need next. If you can't anticipate, you won't be ready. And then it's really, really hard to catch up. So that change piece, again, be looking and, uh, and taking a bit of time to do that, taking some time for, your, for yourself, consider it a gift, right? Even if it's 10, 15 minutes every couple of days, just Take and try and take that, that wider view, that long, that long view of what's coming. That's the thing to see what's what's going to become is more ready for change. And then talk to your people in terms of change. We so often talk about it as things are fine, we change, things are fine again. Change now is constant. So get people, you know, talk to talk to them in terms of here's what we're doing now and why. Here's why it might change. Here are the things I'm looking at that may cause us to change direction. It can, Use your regular language, it will help them be less uh, help them be less concerned about change because it's part of what they do every day. Can you can you paint a picture, Eric, what that uh, uh, what that looks like? Super practical. So if you say 10, 15 minutes a day, just focus on what's changing. Like like how? What what, what specifically would I even do? Because if I'm if I'm all consumed with how am I going to make payroll next week and collect these customer bills? And I got uh, uh, jobs stacked in front of me. Uh, I, how, do we, how do we give more specific instruction on, on what to actually sit down and do? So one thing I do is, well, first of all, you should listen to podcasts like this one because you're going to get some great ideas and get some different perspectives. Um, the second thing I do on my uh, LinkedIn feed I follow some people who I know are good futurists. And John Hagel is somebody out of, uh, on the West Coast who I follow. Others who I know are thinking about the future. And that way, if I just sort of scan down my feed and see what pops up, I'll get some new ideas that will pop in or some, some triggers I should pay attention to something. You know, again, if you're varying your news sources a bit, uh, I remember back at the beginning of this year when ChatGPT, which actually came out in November of last year, all of a sudden I saw like five 
things pop up about ChatGPT. A couple on the on podcast, one on NPR, one on the New York Times, and just seeing those little pinpricks, I'm like, ooh, I don't know what that is, but I better figure out what it is because all of a sudden everyone's talking about it. Basically, right. I think you, should, you vary things a bit, and again, you don't have to go read something front to back, but vary the news sources, find some podcasts, and find some folks to follow. Be it whatever your favorite social platform is, LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever it happens to be, who are thinking to the future. Um, that will give you a little bit of, of inkling and a tickle about what's going to come. So I love that. Just just be intentional, <clears throat> right? And so yeah. don't just, and I'm not taking shots at whatever news channel you watch, but don't just watch your normal news channel. Be intentional right. about mm-hmm. seeking out alternate views. So Depending which way you lean, you might think the other news channel uh, is, is is terrible and and you can't stand it. Suck it up and watch it because it's important to know know what other people think. Whether you, it doesn't mean you agree with, right? And yeah. and uh, I, I I love your idea of just being intentional about seeking out blogs, podcasts. Just don't subscribe to just pure fun things. There's nothing wrong with that. But your LinkedIn feed, seek out people who you believe to have those good opinions. Anything anything else that you would suggest of ways that entrepreneurs, business owners can be intentional about identifying change? So one of the exercises I like to have people go through is to write down their assumptions about the future. So think about your business a year from now. What are the assumptions that, that underlie why you think your business is going to grow by 10% or you're going to expand to another location, whatever that is. And then ask yourself, what has to be true for that to come true and what are the implications if one of my assumptions is not true so if you think okay i'm going to have if i'm going to expand to another location i'm assuming i'll be able to hire the people to staff that location i'm assuming i'll have the financing available at a certain rate to be able to fund that opening all the things you're assuming and then begin to poke around and say again so what has to be true what don't i know about those factors and where's the uncertainty where's the risk and that gives you some direction of poking, poking around to say, oh, what are some things I might not, might not be aware of that might affect that? Um, and it just it opens your mind, opens that, that uh, take a broader perspective so that you're not just caught on today. Because again, we operate with a series of assumptions. Too often we don't articulate them and test them to see if they're still valid. And all of a sudden we're like Wiley e. Coyote running off the cliff, right? We think everything's fine. And then you look down and you're, you're whoops, down you go. Yeah. Um, so you're going to be careful with that. I think it's good advice and it relates. I, I mean, I, I, it resonates for me, you know, uh, businesses that I've been part of, Hey, we're su- super successful in these two locations growing like crazy in these two adjacent cities. Let's open location number three uh, and, you know, apply the same, same model as we did in the first two. And lo and behold, it didn't work because we probably didn't ask all those same questions, right? Labor pool was different. Uh, customer base was in fact different more than more than we realized probably it's probably easier eric to to do that on things that you were intentionally going to do right so i want to add this location i want to add a product line i want to expand my sales or the team i want to i want to build add on to my building some some capital equipment so i i think it's probably intuitive for folks to go through that thought exercise help me remember the, the way you phrased it i really liked it it's for that to come true what can for, for those yeah, conditions what, what has to be true, yeah what has to be true for this to actually come true and then 
if one of those assumptions is not true, what are the implications? If I can't get enough people, if I can't get financing at the right rate, you know, do I have a secondary plan? Do I have, what, what are my options? Where am I thinking I'm going to go? So, so I love that way of saying it. Here's my, here's my fear. It's probably intuitive when you're going to do something intentional to engage in that advice. What about the change that's coming at you that you don't see? Do you, how, do you, how do you stop in the moments of panic, if you will? Maybe, maybe it's not panic because it's happened so fast. You don't even know what's happening to you. Um, maybe you're going to the cliff 100 miles an hour. You know, choose, choose your metaphor. But so much change, I think, that we deal with is, is based on what happens to us during the day, not what we plan to do. That's right. And that's where that, that foresight and some scenario planning is so important. Again, even if you're a small business to be thinking about future A, B, and C and, and what does that look like. Um, and again, it's it's pulling your head up and, and not just being about the business today all, all the time, which can be really hard. Um, I remember back in, in uh, January of 2020, uh, I, was, I teach an intensive leadership class every year at, at, at Harvard, and one of my students was from China. And she came up, wake up to me after class every day and said, I'm getting reports from back home about this disease and this, this infectious disease outbreak. Um, you know, what should we do? How should we be thinking about it? And I was like, whoa, I was, it was barely making the news here. Uh, but then it was like, okay, that, because I have a, a bit of a public health background and learned about, about this. Uh oh, let's watch and see what, what, what are they doing about it in China? When they started, uh, hammering, planks of wood across doors, you knew it was going to be bad. Um, yeah. and, and then as soon as the case hit Italy, uh, you knew it was going to go worldwide. Um, so I think, again, when you're, you're attuned to uh, some of what's happening in the news, that's when you get the uh, little pinpricks. And if you don't know about it, figure out who does know something about it to uh, what we can, what you can find out about it. As I say, right now, the you know, AI is causing all of a, a flurry. Um, it's the, be the best advice about it I've heard is from uh, Scott Galloway, professor down at NYU, who said, AI probably isn't going to take your job. Someone who knows how to use AI is going to take your job. Um, so they are getting into yeah. yeah, and they're, even if you're running a local restaurant or a, you know, a hardware store or whatever, you want to be thinking about how could AI, what about it could change my business? And just start asking those questions. And, it, and it, you may not see it at first, um, but... Keep it in the, when you put things in the back of your brain. I mean, the good thing about our brains is that most of the most of what goes on there is unconscious, and you, if the signals are coming in while you're sleeping, while you're going for a walk, whatever. It begins to form new patterns, and you begin to understand the world in a different way. So that's again why it's one of the things I would advise small business owners to do is make sure you you take a bit of time to go for a run, walk, whatever it is you do. Take some time when you're not focused on the business to actually give your brain some unfocused time. Because when, when you do that, again, those subconscious circuits form new patterns. It puts together all the things that have been coming in, even things you didn't realize you were learning or hearing or watching. Uh, and yeah. you begin yeah. to say, oh, that's why we have great ideas in the shower. You wonder why the great idea pops in? It's because the brain had some unfocused time to put the connections together. So taking that time, and so often people work you know, they're working 20 hours a day trying to make the business work and they go to sleep for a couple and get back up and do it all over again. Thinking that if you're, unless you're focused all the time, you're, you're going to fail. 
you want to focus really hard, but you want to give yourself some unfocused time as well. So it'll, you're, again, your brain will assemble those new patterns. Eric, you mentioned a minute ago um, about uh, you know being intentional about the news sources you seek out. Uh, we'll see what's in your feed. You tr of being intentional, trying to keep up on on things that are, that are going to be changing uh, and studying the futurists, if you will. But you also mentioned talking to employees. Let's unpack that one a, a little bit. I think I think sometimes you feel like you're the boss, and you so you feel like you're supposed to have the answers. Um, and, and sometimes folks struggle asking their employees about what they think, you know, because they think their employees might be wrong, or if they're right, maybe they aren't going to have the capital to actually implement their suggestions. Could this uh, backfire on me? Uh, wh what advice would you give business owners for how to a playbook, if you will? How, to, how should they be engaging with their employees to identify change? One of the things I've learned about strong leaders over the years is that they're really good at asking questions and they're really good at listening. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. And that, you know, if you start with the assumption that- Or you're, or you're the only person in the room. <laughs> or you're the only person in the room, right, exactly. Um, but if you start with the assumption that no one has all of the answer, but everyone may have part of the answer, that will open you up. And again, the, the, the clerk, the frontline employee, whoever it happens to be, may not have the fully baked out solution, but hearing, you know, even just asking them, what are you listening to? What are you paying attention to? What podcasts are you, are you listening to? What TikTok uh, people are you following? Just to get a sense of what's on their radar, because people see different things based on their, uh, their generation, their gender, their, their ethnic background. We pay attention to different things. We process things a bit differently. And so you can get really interesting feeds as to what's going on that you may not be attuned to. Um, and so there, again, it's part of varying those sources of input. And again, it's not a, it's, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength that you're actually asking people, you know, what gets in the way of you doing what you're, what we ask you to do? What are the obstacles? Uh, it's an exercise I always encourage companies to go through large or small is just, Hey, we've asked you to do this. We've asked you to have a smile on your face whenever you work with a customer. I noticed you weren't smiling. Why not? Well, it's because our computer system is is slow and, and gets in my way. Or um, I've got to put an order through and, and I keep getting an error message. That kind of feedback helps you solve the problems. And maybe you can't solve them all right now. But at least if you're aware of them, you can say, okay, I got to work on this because it's getting in the way of something I want to have happen. Uh, curiosity is a superpower. So I agree. The, more you, the more you use it, the more you use it, the better off you're going to be. I mean, there's nobody touches in most most businesses. This is true. Nobody touches your customer more than the frontline employee, right? That's right. Whether whether it's uh, the hostess at, at the restaurant and, and, and the waitstaff or and the bartender, or uh, if it's a sales organization. Now, it's a, a salesperson who then hands it to an implementation person in the software business, who then hands it to a customer support person. These these people they know what's broken, but more than yeah. more than broken, they know what's changing. If they've been in their job for a while, maybe a good question to ask them is not just what are the challenges, what what are the new challenges? What's different about today than six months or or two years ago in your job? That's right. That's right. And I think, you know, when you look at the, 
this whole great reassessment, re resignation, whatever you want to call it, that's happened since we've hopefully come out of COVID. Um, part of that is, you know, before before COVID, we operated under a bunch of assumptions. We didn't really question. We went to the office. You went wherever you went. You had to go, and you worked from nine to five, and uh, or you know, in case of entrepreneurs, you worked from six to six. You know, twenty four seven. Um, but we didn't question a lot of that. And people said, oh, it's not, you know, it's not possible. And all of a sudden, the context changed, changed radically and quickly. We had to adapt instantly. And now part of going back is people are saying, this part of my work life doesn't make sense anymore. You know, as a, a friend who does real estate development in the UK said to me, he said, no one wants to drive an hour to go up an elevator to sit at a desk and read email only to get down the elevator and drive, drive a, an hour home. They could have done that from home. Um, now it's different if you're in a customer-facing role where you actually have to be in person with people. It's different if you're in the trades. There's reasons you have to be on site uh, for different in different businesses. But for a lot of functions, again, commuting sucks. Let's face it; uh, nobody likes it. Take you know, childcare and elder care are tough. There's lots of challenges, and when people have saw a different way of, of working, they're like, "Hey, this makes more sense." Now, I think the smart employers are listening to people and saying, okay, let's listen to what, what they're asking for. Let's talk about the job that actually has to get done and see where the right fit is. Uh, and, and what about a workplace would make it so, so engaging that people would want to get here? Uh, or when can I say, you know what, you can do that work from home or from wherever you want to do it. It's having that, that conversation that can be tough sometimes for people who are used to being in charge and telling people what to do. And so I think that's, that it takes some courage to engage with your employees and say, help me figure this out. But I think your point's something right. You have to ask them and talk to them. You know what? That I mean, that, that's a whole webinar series we could do on that topic alone, right? But I, I do think, and we were chatting about this before, before the show today, um, I think this is one of those areas that is sneaking up on entrepreneurs. I, I hear a lot of, I mean, the, the biggest, most well-known public figure CEOs of big companies uh, that you see on CNBC, you know, who are quite uh, emphatic that we're going to be an in-the-office company and, uh, you know, our people are going to be in the office. And it's not just the fact that that's a competing viewpoint versus employees' viewpoint that I hate commuting and I'm more productive and I have a view. I just kind of come back to the fact that I don't, I don't care who's even right or wrong in this scenario. Supply and demand is going to dictate this thing, right? And, mm -hmm. and what we're talking, birth rates from 30, 40 years ago have determined the available workforce today. And the GDP does this, which requires X number of employees to both consume the productivity, but also produce the productivity. And the labor availability has done this. We there's simple, This war for talent is a permanent thing for the next, I'm going to call it 30, 50 years minus the wild card of AI, we just don't know. Um, but it's it's easy to say as the CEO that you think we're more effective in the office together and I'm going to assist there who does it. The fact is employees are going to vote with their feet. And yes. maybe the CEO is right. Maybe you are, in fact, more productive. Maybe you're less productive also. Lots of mm -hmm. studies would show the most productivity comes from a hybrid environment. Yeah. Um, but it kind of doesn't matter. Employees are going to vote with their feet, and and so th this is a this is a an area of change that I think all entrepreneurs, all business owners, you're going to have to navigate. Even in silly scenarios like maybe you're a restaurateur, and well, obviously all of our employees have to come come 
to the place of business, employees still have options to go work someplace where they don't have to. So what accommodations can you make, right? What, what else might you say about how to manage through what I, what I would call our much more macro changes that it's not the, it's not the, the truck that just smashed into the front office of my, of my building. It's not the pandemic that just hit. It's not the law that just changed that I had now have to react to. These are some really big macro trends happening that it might not feel like the overnight impact of, of something when we think of the word change. No, I think you're right. And, I, and these population shifts, as you say, have been coming for quite some time. And uh, it's no no surprise to those who've been watching that we have a, a what appears to be a labor shortage right now. And you're right, people are voting with their feet. And I, I think going forward, career choices are going to be made in part based on whether you want to be in person with other people or you want to be remote or a hybrid. Um, you know, that's a big part of what you do. Like right now, if you, you know, if you don't want to be outside, you don't go into construction, right? Because that's part of the job. You make your choices what you're going to do. You don't go into the right, forest right. service, right? If you, if you don't want to see blood, you don't become a doctor. So there are things that go into the, the career choices you make. And I think the where we work and how we work is going to be part of that. Uh, that's part of the ongoing conversation now. It's sort of new, new table stakes. So I yeah. think, again, when you, when you do this, we are, we are social animals. Right? All mammals are social. And so we like to be with other, other humans. We like to be, and so what kind of environment can you create in which I'm happy to be there? If you're somebody who wants people in the office, you know, I always hear about, well, you miss out on mentoring. And then I say, so show me your mentoring plan. And I get a blank stare. Um, you know, right. Right. you create the time and accountability for your managers to be mentoring people and you get a blank stare. Um, so and I'm not saying you have to have a four inch binder of uh, a policy to the mentoring program, but if, if part of what you want people to do is, is to be together, make sure they are actually getting exposed to clients. Make sure you are, again, giving time and accountability to the managers to develop people. You're measuring them on that. Uh, you're help, letting people help solve problems together. That's very a, a great way to engage people. Uh, you're making the, the time they get to spend with customers uh, as pleasant an experience as, as possible. Um, I, I started my career, I, I was uh, one of those customer service people at, at uh, Bloomingdale's in New York. So I used to take returns and get yelled at a lot, uh, which the yell, getting yelled at part wasn't a lot of fun in the beginning until you realize that people just needed to vent. Uh, and then I, if I could solve their problem and left happy, I felt really good about that. Um, and so helping people find out what, what brings them joy in their work, no matter how mundane the task may be, but how can you help them find some joy and meaning in it? And then they're going to want to come together. Or if it makes more sense to stay home, you have to understand that as well. Eric, let's pivot for a second. I want to talk about uh, people new to leadership. And, and I don't want to get in some leadership definition of, hey, we're all leaders, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about new to supervising people, new to managing processes and organization. I, I think there are so many, uh, when I think about, say, the average uh, small business owner, you know, say 25 employees. It's probably the guy who was a great contractor doing bathrooms and kitchens that ended up hiring an assistant that ended up hiring two or three crews and now finds themselves uh, the owner of a remodeling business. It's the hairstylist who has been, been behind the chair for five or 10 years and now owns a salon in maybe multiple locations of salons. Uh, it's, the, it's the architect 
who started out, or the lawyer who started out as, a, 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 you know, hung a shingle out in practicing attorney, and all of a sudden now they own a, a practice, right? Uh, they find themselves in leadership positions, not accidentally, but they have come up through what I would say the craft mm -hmm. of, of yeah. their work, not necessarily focusing on, okay, I now have to start, the job now requires something different of me. One of those things includes a broader leadership capacity and skill set. What's your coaching uh, for, for those folks as they, and maybe we can even talk about different phases in that journey that they're in? It's probably the biggest group of people I work with are people who, who come into that leadership position through technical or uh, operational expertise. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, what do I do now? Because my operational expertise isn't going to solve this one. I mean, managing yeah. people, yeah. leading people is hard. It's messy. It's complicated because people are hard and messy and complicated. And so um, I think that what I have seen be working is, first of all, when you become a leader, you realize it's not about you. It's about them. And it's about the relationship you have with them. Um, when you when people are looking, they need direction and guidance. Are you there to give it to them? If they have questions, are you open to answering them? Are you helping them connect their work to that larger picture that you may see, but they may not have made that leap yet? The one thing I encourage all of your listeners to do is that there's a video on YouTube called Everyone Has a Story 2018. If you search on that on YouTube, you'll find it in a Chick-fil-A a training video. It's been up there. And you know it's a crowded fast food restaurant on a Saturday afternoon, and they go through all the people who are there. Um, some are happy, some are sad, some are, have just gotten a bad diagnosis for a disease. Other people have, you know, just learned they've graduated, are been accepted to college. But all the stories behind the people in the business. And that ultimately, I think that the shift in, I think, in, in thinking about this is seeing what the purpose and what you're really doing. So, and this goes back to, you know, to credit it properly, the, the, uh, Understanding what job your customer hires you to do, like Christensen popularized this. If you're cutting hair, for example, you're in a hair salon. Cutting hair is, is a commodity business. People actually don't come to you for that. They come to you because they want to look great for that big date that they're coming up. They want to be more confident in the, in the job interview they're about to have. Maybe they're beginning to lose their hair because of a, a chemo treatment. And you're, if you help them make that transition with some grace and dignity, that's the stuff you do. Uh, when you're doing that remodeling business, you're helping people build a, a happy home, a place where their family can gather and enjoy great meals together. Yeah. It's not just hanging cabinets and sticking in plumbing. That's commodity stuff. And when you get that, you can connect people to that and tell those stories, help them reflect on the, you know, the customers they've been with or what people have told them they're going to do in that, in that new kitchen. Uh, if you talk about some of the customers who come through your, your, your location and share that, Again, that connects people to a, to a deeper meaning, and that's um, that's leading people. That's really not just telling them what to do, but helping them understand why they do what they do. And you know, we do an exercise in my exec ed programs where we always ask people, tell us about a leader you knew who you followed enthusiastically. It could be someone they worked with or a coach or someone in a faith-based community. You know, they had to know the person. And inevitably, the answers that come back are not that they went to a fancy school, Apologies to my friends at Harvard, or they drove a fancy car, or they were well dressed. It's they had integrity. They listened. 
They had people's backs. Yeah. Um, they brought people together. They developed people. They, you know, it's it's those of who you are as a person, your character, and then what you were able to do. You communicated clearly. You made decisions. You resolved conflict. Those kind of things. It really was attending to the, the greater good of the group so that you can achieve that mission together. You can do what the business is trying to do. As a leader, you're creating the conditions in which all those people can do their best so you all succeed. And, and how do you help how do you help entrepreneurs turn these strategies into tactical action plans? So I, I, I've been swinging a hammer, installing kitchen cabinets for the last decade. Now I've just hired my first crew. Uh, you know, leadership is completely new to me. How, how, how do they even begin this process? So a part of it, I think, is to have a conversation with that crew. Sit down and sort of ask them, you know, hopefully you've learned, you learn a bit about where they're from, why they're doing this, why they want to do this work. And for some people, it's just going to be, hey, I need a paycheck, right? I got a skill. I need a paycheck. That's all I'm here for. Other people, you you know, you learn that, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to save to get my kids through college, or I really want to buy a house, and I, you know, I'm hoping this trade will give me some some uh, reliable income, and I can I can get that done. Once you begin to understand what motivates people, then you can connect with them and connect to the work, and make sure you're trying to steer them the opportunities to uh, be able to do what they need to do. You know, if you find out that somebody, you know, has a, an elder, perhaps a parent they have to take care of. You can give them a little bit of flex in the schedule so you know what their challenge is and they're trying to help them out. In return, you may ask them to work some days that somebody else needs a break, and uh, but you know their particular schedule requires something different. But understanding who people are and what motivates them and caring about that, that's what connects you to people as a leader. And again, there may be times you say, hey, we got to get this done. There's no flexibility here. We're going to need a deadline. But when you say that, if people know you care about them and you, you understand what motivates them, they're more than willing to suck it up and get it done. Like if they know we're on the same team, you've got my back. And it isn't just that you're going to, you know, the old you know, beatings will continue until uh, morale improves joke yeah. from the 70s. Yeah. It isn't just that. It is we're pulling together. And I, you know, I've seen teams, I do a lot of crisis work, team, teams that are working in ridiculous circumstances for really long hours, but pulling through and getting great things done because they took care of each other, they cared about each other, and they knew that that leader cared about them as well. Got a couple of questions. I want to make sure I try to remember. Um, before I forget, could, there's a story you shared in your book uh, talking about, and it will segue here to, to teamwork um, and, and seeing things. It's the, it's the, uh, it was a workshop, seeing things different about the goal is to pair everybody in the room, pair up with each other uh, yes. and put your arms for arm wrestling. And your goal is to get the other person's uh, back of the hand on the table as many times as possible. Can you, can you take us through this? Because I think this is just a, a beautiful exercise about how to look at problems differently and when you're a leader, how you have to. Absolutely. So, you know, it's usually an hour, an hour and a half into a seminar. So we've been talking and having slides and sort of doing some sh sharing some ideas and techniques. But then to pause and say, okay, we've been doing a lot of talking here, let's get some physical exercise. Uh, turn to the person next to you and get into an arm wrestling position. Your goal in the next 30 seconds is to get the back of that person's hand down as many times as you can. You know, wait till I say go, get ready, go. And about half the room will be like this, right? They'll be pushing back and forth and seeing who's strongest. 
And about half the room, all of a sudden starts going like this and waving their hands back and forth. Because the framing for the exercise was get into an arm wrestling position. And people hear that and they're like, okay, I'm arm wrestling. The real goal, the instructions are, get the other person's hand down as many times as possible. The way you actually achieve the goal is by cooperating. And boom, we both win when we go back and forth. When you're in that arm wrestling position, it's a win-lose situation. So one person's going to prevail, one person's going to lose, and that creates a lot of can create a lot of conflict. When you say you actually look at instructions, so how you frame things as a leader is very, very important. And again, for a long time, thinking in large companies, this is a management philosophy was let's make sure everybody competes against each other internally as hard as possible. That's how we're going to get the best results. If we don't keep people competing, they're not going to win. That work now is very team-based oftentimes, and you're looking at that larger goal. And, you know, I really don't want sales and marketing fighting with each other. It's much better if they work together, if they're waving back and forth, because then we can meet customer needs. We don't yeah. want you know, the, the warehouse and our retail operations yelling at each other and fighting. We want them going like this. And so, sadly, the exercise doesn't work as well in person now if we put it in the book. If people, people get the answer before we do it. Uh, but it's a great thing. Again, we refer. if I have somebody for a week, we refer back to that probably 20 times. Remember the arm wrestling story. What, what, it's part of what you said earlier about being intentional. We, we as humans are good collaborators. We're good competitors. We push that compete button over and over and over again. We always do. We aren't nearly as intentional about pushing the collaborate button. So as a leader, you want to be thinking of, you know, both of those are viable options. When do I want people to compete? When do I want them to collaborate? Let's make sure I'm setting the stage so they engage in the right behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The two things that, that, that this really stuck with me reading that story, number one is, is the planning and preparation and the setup of the problem. So you as a leader, how you define the problem matters and you and you said that beautifully it's like you told them to get in an arm wrestling position so you've yes. already primed them to think you're i'm gonna have you arm wrestle right um and so to simply stop you get what you think is an obvious assignment and just pause could be a very mm -hmm. short pause could be a long pause could be hours weeks of planning whatever but to really think what is the actual best way for me to achieve this objective so that that's number one the thing that would be stuck with me the most is talk about the responses of the participants, depending yes. on the path that they chose, how they felt and how they, what their reactions were. Cause I think this is so telling. That's right. So when the people who are arm wrestling, who are fighting like this, they talk about, you know, I got one, I got zero. It's always, I got, and it's a low number. The people who were waving back and forth, it's usually we got, or we, you know, we got 20 each, or we got 40 together. It's very much, again, that collective achievement. So if you've got that crew on the remodeling, uh, the remodeling crew going into a job, do you care that one person hammered 175 nails in and somebody else did 120? No, it's we got this work done together, so now we've moved the progress, the, the project from this phase to the next phase, and we're ready to go. Um, that's what we want people help, helping each other out and making sure that they are they're working in synchrony because the larger goal is to finish the project because you can't, well, careful that I don't want to step into contractor land, but you shouldn't go on to the next project till you finish this one um, in terms of sequencing, right? So you want that to get done in a way that people work together to get the greatest good out of the labor they're exerting. 
Yeah, and and I, you know, a little confession. I, I, as you were telling the story, I'm like, I know damn well I would have fallen for the trap because in my in my man cave brain, I'd be like, I want to prove this person wrong. I can I can beat right. them. And one of the words that you used was, I, and I think was what, that they were tired. They wore themselves out. And so I, I think about how do you manage your energy as an entrepreneur? How do you manage and conserve the energy energy of your team? If if at the end of the exercise, everyone's exhausted and it's me versus them versus this back and forth, I can just imagine the room bursting in laughter. Like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. We figured out a better way. It wasn't tiring at all. It was actually, the only hard part is I hit the back of my knuckle so many times. I mean, you can just envision the fun conversations right. that have it and how the process itself led to camaraderie. That's right. And it's, it's particularly tough for entrepreneurs because, again, you start out, you've got a business idea, you're probably alone, or maybe you've got a business partner, and you're fighting hard to convince the bank to loan you money, you're trying to find space, whatever you're trying to do, but you have to fight really, really hard. So it puts your, it puts your competitor brain in overdrive. So it can be hard to shift back and say, you know what, now it's time I got to make sure this, this larger team is working well together. Uh, that maybe, again, with some external stakeholders, our key suppliers, uh, maybe our bank, whoever it happens to be, that we're actually working together as best we can and not fighting each other. It's, uh, you know, you, you want people to be able to, uh, again, what's your desired outcome and what's the best path to get there? And it takes some maturity and it takes a bit of experience to say, okay, you know what? Competing is going to get us there today, but there's other, there's today, tomorrow, collaboration is what we got to do because we got to work together. Where do you see the biggest, the, what, what are the most common mistakes that you see entrepreneurs making when they, when they are thrust into leadership positions, of, whether it's of their own making or not? Uh, so one that I have seen over and over again is that they get so bought into their vision for what this business is going to be that whenever anybody pushes back at all, they see it as betrayal. And again, this is people who work for you or maybe seeing a problem. Hey, here's something that's not going to work. Here's a here's a glitch in the system. And you bring it to them and they're like, you just don't believe hard enough. you got to buy into this vision and you just got to keep pushing. And they aren't they aren't open to getting the feedback that, that people are trying to tell them, hey, here's a here's a pothole coming up. Let's not drive into it. Uh, but they aren't they aren't open to that. So that's one is again, remember that you're that you're uh, you're not infallible. You don't know everything. The people around you have valuable perspectives, and they may very well be bringing you a legitimate problem that needs to get solved. But it doesn't become a bigger problem over time. So that's yeah. certainly one. The second is they work themselves so hard, they drive themselves so hard that they do get emotionally and physically exhausted. Uh, I remember I was working for one startup. It was probably 50 people in headquarters at the time, and had some retail locations. Uh, 50-year-old CEO, 50-something CEO-old CEO, uh, seemingly healthy, vibrant, smart guy. Went to the gym one night, got on the treadmill, had a heart attack and died. Uh, but he'd just been a really hard-driving person and hadn't taken care of himself. So yeah. I think as yeah. a as an entrepreneur, if, what you really want is you need to be stronger longer. Uh, and so taking some time to take care of yourself isn't taking your eye off the ball. It's making sure that you're there to see the ball. A year, two years, five years from now, if you get to the business to the point where you want it, whether you're going to run it, sell it, or whatever your ultimate goal is, but taking the time to take care of yourself and let your people take care of themselves as well. You've got to be able to to 
create that space. There's just an article in Harvard Business Review recently called, I think it's called the 85% Solution, which shows some research that actually asking people to give 85%, not 110%, was how you get peak performance over time. Hmm. So that they could drive really hard, but you again, have, you need that time to recharge, right? You sprint, you need to recharge, you know, so it's, it's, it's that, and, uh, and yet, again, entrepreneurs, because they drive themselves so hard, drive others really hard. I worked uh, with, a, uh, with a large global company, but a new CEO came in. She was a, with a turnaround. It was a pretty desperate turnaround. And she asked me to interview her senior team and give, do an evaluation of them. And I came back to her and I said, they're really smart. They're really capable. You are outrunning them, and they're going to fall down. Because this, this CEO was someone who needed about four hours sleep. Um, was, you know, again, really, really driven, saw the mission, had, had to drive at it. I said, you just, people can't keep up with you. You're a, a physical anomaly. And if you don't give them some way to recoup, they're, they're going to leave. And, and indeed, about within two years, I mean, half that team was gone. Um, mm-hmm. because they just couldn't, they just couldn't keep up physically and, and maintain a family and any other kind of life. Um, so watch out for that. And that's, uh, and, and, I would and again, see- great. I was going to say, I, I, I think there's probably a lot more people, uh, I, I hate doing finger wagging, but I think there's a lot of people think that they're that anomaly and they're not. They're not performing at their best. I mean, there's yeah. a reason the airline says you put the face mask on, uh, on yourself before the child because you can't help anybody if you're not, not performing, right? That's right. That's right. And I think that, you know, as we talked about earlier making sure that you take your take your view up and look around once in a while so you're seeing what's coming at you what the what the future holds don't just get stuck with today that's a pretty obvious one and then one of the things we talk about in the in the book and this comes from working yourself too hard is trying to lead from what we call the emotional basement so we we have an instinctual freeze flight fight response every animal on the planet is comes with it it's a key survival mechanism if you're in a truly life-threatening situation and so you face a threat, your, your amygdala and then your hindbrain fires up and it triggers this freeze flight fight. It preempts all of your logical thinking, your rational thinking, because it's just thinking, you know, survive or die. Yeah. If you're in a really, you know, if you have to jump out of the way of a car, that's a really good instinct to have. Um, but if you're, if you're facing a, a non-life-threatening situation, it'd be really, really bad. Like when you hit reply all with that angry response to the email, uh, or you start yelling at people in, in public, you, you're reacting instead of responding. And so I think what entrepreneurs and other business owners need to do is learn how to breathe. When you yeah. feel that panic coming on or that threat, you know, it's, it's a the landlord just up your rent 20% or the key employee just quit. Before you do anything, take three deep breaths. It's about 30 seconds, so it's not going to get in the way of taking action. When you control your breathing, you control everything else. Your heart rate will slow down. You'll preempt that free flight fight response. You'll be able to actually compose an intelligent response, which puts you more in control, and it's going to get you where you want to go. Ultimately, it's not going to alienate people, and it's it's actually going to put you in a position where you can take more effective action. Yeah. The uh, flight or fight was super helpful not to have to think whether you had to run from the saber-toothed tiger. Right. Right? Uh, so, So we are... We're all hardwired that way, just because that, that that's how we're built. Um, yeah. I, one of the, one of the techniques that I like, and I'm curious for your thoughts. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about this. Uh, you know, well-known uh, media guy and speaker about even the things that maybe technically aren't your fault. 
they're your fault. And so his perspective, and, and I almost think this is a, as a technique, right? It's like, okay, they raised my rent 20%. Do I act, do I fly off the handle and, and, and send a scathing uh, email to the landlord, call him a crook, and therefore not helping my future negotiation standpoint? Or do I say, man, I missed that one. I should have saw that coming in and should have put a better, a, a, a ratchet clause in the, my, the, the first agreement that I had to prevent this problem. You know, the employee uh, that you thought was so loyal that quit, do you, do you blow them up and talk crap on them? Or do you say, man, I must not have created the environment that they thought that they could have been successful here. And so even things that it's not fair blending yourself, maybe it really by all objective standards, it's not his technique is that you blame yourself for everything as the entrepreneur, because it's a, it's a humbling exercise and it forces you to think about what would the solution be without acting like you just saw the saber tooth tiger? I'm yeah. curious for your thoughts on that strategy. Well, I, I think I, I don't love the word blame, but I do like asking yourself, why didn't I see that coming? What did I miss? Because again, you learn through experience. We all, we all learn through experience and just trying to ask yourself. So when something goes away, you don't want it to go, then you, have to ask yourself how could it have gone differently how could i have seen this coming what would i do what will i do differently next time uh i don't think you want to weigh yourself down too much with with what what can come with blame of oh i'm you know i'm no good i don't know how to negotiate a lease i'm a bum but to say okay you know what this is the first time i negotiated a commercial lease clearly i missed some things so what am i going to make sure i learn for next time and be writing that stuff down i'm big on leaders keeping a journal um, write those things down and you'll learn. I remember the first time I saw a commercial lease, I had, I would have gotten completely screwed. Someone who had more experience looked at it and said, no, you're not agreeing to that. Here's the alternative language you want to put in here because they have been through it and they have made the mistakes. So, um, you know, learn that going through. And then I'm also a big, big fan of, uh, entrepreneur or CEO, uh, peer learning groups. Right, people they may not be in the same business as you, but they're roughly the same size size business, and to be able to share expertise. So when you're saying, "Hey, you know, I'm going," for, I was in a freestanding location. Now I'm I'm looking going into the shopping center. Talk to somebody else who's had a lease in the shopping center to see, you know, what worked, what didn't, what what, what should I be looking out for here? Um, or you have again a key person leave, somebody to talk it over with. That's really really helpful to have those peers who you can reach out to. And, and get some advice. It's not too close to the business, but not too far away from the business. Yeah. Maybe the last thing I would talk about is, so we talked about all, all kinds of ways to approach change. Some, some change is change that you're planning. I'm gonna open the third location. I'm gonna launch a new product line. And what are the questions I can ask myself? Um, talked about how to be more intentional about just seeking out new information, whether it's news sources, uh, data feeds, whatever, social feeds about trying to see as far into the future as you can, right? Talk about asking your employees, asking customers questions. And in, in we talked about, you know, taking care of yourself first, all tactics to either better prepare for change or uh, be ready for change. Ultimately, when change happens, you're going to probably have to implement change, right? So change happens to you. You're going to have to implement change on others. And then whenever you do that, there's going to be conflict, right? So as a leader, especially our new leaders, newer leaders, 
how wh- what advice do you have for them when they're the ones navigating change and how to then successfully implement change on or with others so i think it, it's always better to do this with people than two people so i think with, part of what you want to do is, is, is share the, the changes you were seeing and ask who's seeing them as well or who's seeing something different uh again your people i think you can you can trust them at any level to say hey you know we're seeing this trend in the industry or we're hearing about this this change in the economic climate um what are you seeing explain to them how you're processing the information uh and why you're concerned about it because again if people understand the why that the hardest thing about change is you understand why it's happening we all embrace change and we think it's going to be good for us or we, we sort of understand the rationale behind it it's when we don't understand it or it's sort of blind sides us that we really push back hard so i think engaging people in that conversation and it's part of developing people you know, we already talked earlier about mentoring and developing people helping them understand how you make decisions how you evaluate different things you're looking at that's developing them but you're actually investing in them as you do this and they're going to give you their wisdom back um i think the other the other really important question and i get this from my my friend is a very, a very wise friend named dane dunston he always asks what wants to happen so often we think of change is like what do we want to have happen what do i want to have happen and flip that around and say what wants to happen it gives you it just puts you in a different frame yeah. again looking yeah. at okay my customers aren't coming anymore they're going to a competitor across town why is that happening what wants to, what, what what wants to happen here why what, why are they choosing them over me uh, i can't attract the people i'm trying i'm trying to get to you know, we have a mental health crisis in this country. It's just a lot of social stress on a lot of levels. And we could, again, hold another webinar series. We could talk about yeah. that. Um, but when you, when you see people wanting to spend more time at home, take care of themselves, that's because people are super stressed. We built a very stressful system. So when you say, you know, what wants to happen, there needs to be a release valve for that. Can we have, make it a productive one? Or do we want to have people acting out and doing bad things? Uh, when you look at AI coming into a business, what wants to happen here? Well, there's probably a lot of routinized, kind of dull tasks that a machine may be able to do better. That means I can engage people in, in a higher level, more productive kind of work that only they can do. So put yourself in the, in the not just in the driver's seat, but more in the, in the navigator's chair. I've spent a lot of time in kayaks out in the ocean. And you have to have a confidence in yourself and where you want to go that you can handle your, your kayak, you can handle your boat, but a whole lot of respect for that ocean and mother nature and, and what she can kick up in a hurry and so it's again looking around and saying you know, looking at the weather and saying what's what's about to happen here i may not get a big voice in it i just got to steer myself through it so that humbling exercise of asking what's going to go on and what what do those larger forces want to play out helps you better navigate how you can fit within them and get to where you want to go i love that question what wants to happen because my follow-up question to to managing change implementing two versus with with others is presumably there's a process of collaboration or ideally there's a process of collaboration. It's not just top down, this is what's gonna happen. Whether and I'll explain it to you if you want, but uh, we're doing it no matter what. The, the, the best ideas generally come collaboratively. Mm-hmm. And even if the idea doesn't improve, at least there's buy-in to the process. But I just, as you were saying, the the question, what wants to happen here? I kind of go back to the whole arm wrestling thing. Now I'm 
I'm, I'm partnering with you. When I say what wants to happen here about AI, you know, and I'm in the field of marketing here. So I'm talking to my team. It's like, okay, you don't want to use it. You're a little afraid of it. Uh, you know, big picture with AI and chat GPT, what, what wants to happen here? It's like, Oh boy. Yeah. Either I'm going to either, either I or my replacement is going to learn how to use it. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like it's cool. all of a sudden the conversation's like, how can we do this? How can we make the most of this? Not, no, are you going to force me to, it, it, it feels more collaborative. What, what, what more would you say about that? I, I think that's so true. And I think even when you have to make tough decisions, you have to, if you have to cut back staff or close a location, when you can explain to people why and you're looking at it and say, hey, our margins just went from here to here uh, or our costs went from here to here and people can accept it. If you, unlike Jack Nicholson in, uh, in uh, oh God, I'm forgetting the name of the movie all of a sudden, but the famous line was, you can't handle the truth. People right. can right. handle the truth. And I think when we actually speak to them honestly and openly, they get it, and they may get angry for a little bit. They may be unhappy that they're the ones who just got cut, but they're much more accepting of it when you are upfront and truthful about it. And if they, if you've developed them in a way that they understand the business and what's going on, and they again, they may have ideas of, of different ways to approach it, but when you trust them enough to be truly part of of your enterprise, they'll repay that trust. Um, if you're developing them, even if they go somewhere else, they will not forget that you were good to them and they'll refer people back or they come back to you themselves. So I think that being courageous enough to, t to trust people, to trust the people around you is, is really the hallmark of a, of a leader at their performing at their best. And I think that's the, uh, that's the thing I would love to carry forward. Eric, I really enjoyed our conversation here today. What would you say, maybe just closing thoughts, if you could kind of put a framework around this for entrepreneurs, the importance of leadership and a framework for how they should be thinking about developing their leadership skills. I, I think that ultimately, first of all, I have, I have so much confidence and appreciation for entrepreneurs. I think we're in a great time and there are going to be a lot, you know, a lot of new businesses started in the next decades. It's just the, the conditions are right for it. Um, so in doing that, think about the human enterprise and not just the product or service. And so that, that's what will make you a leader. And again, being able to attract the people you need who are going to create the best possible thing you could, who are going to be good with your customers, who are going to be good to each other, and bring you the success you want to achieve. You won't do it alone. Um, you will do it with a team. There's no entrepreneur who's grown anything of size all by themselves. You have to do it with others. So making sure you attend to yourself, the human factors in the enterprise, yourself, the people around you, that will truly make you a success and get you the results you, you hope to achieve. Could have said better. Wonderful. Uh, appreciate your time today. Appreciate the conversation. And thanks to everybody else for joining us today. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I do. Until next week's show. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. At Assure, we build human capital management software and services that help 90,000 companies like yours attract, develop, and retain great people. Our low upfront costs and affordable subscription model allow you to save cash to invest in things that drive growth, not overhead. To learn more about how Assure can help you claim up to $26,000 per employee with the Employee Retention Tax Credit, automate your payroll, and build productive teams that are compliant with ever-changing HR laws, visit AssureSoftware.com.